0: Namu Tasha Bhagavato Arahato Namu Bhagavato Arahato Namu Good afternoon, everybody. I want to continue this uh, talk on uh, jhāna practice. I think today is the third talk. I have uh, covered all the four jhāna passages and uh, explained uh, the meaning of these passages in some detail with uh, similes. And today is the. Uh, today I plan to explain certain terms and uh, steps to attain jhanas. I think uh, most people are more interested in uh, the steps of attaining jhānas. And once you hear the steps, probably you might not try to attain jhānas. <laughs> anyway, it is my, my talk is not complete if I don't mention the steps. I said this in advance uh, not to discourage you, but to make your practice even more serious. With this intention I said this, not to dissuade you from your practice. I want to start with the simile of the last uh, attainment, the fourth jhana. I said fourth jhāna has uh, qualities. Number one is uh, purity. You can see in the fourth jhāna passage itself, two very important mental factors are purified. They are mindfulness, and equanimity. Both of them are equally important in attaining all jhanas one, two, three, four. But when coming to the fourth jhana they reach their climax, culmination where both of them purified. Normally in ordinary life in order to represent purity people wear white clothes. Because white is a symbol of purity. So Buddha used this simile in order to describe the purity of the fourth jhana. Whatever the idiosyncrasies, weaknesses, defilements were lurking in our subconscious mind before attaining the fourth jhana, all of them move away leaving the mind to its own luminous state. You have heard many times, I suppose, that this mind is luminous. In Anguttara Nikaya Buddha stated in the first section itself because this mind is luminous. But because of adventitious defilements, the mind becomes defiled, impure. Ordinary people who have no knowledge of meditation Therefore, do not practice concentration-meditation. Chitta-bhavana-nama-natti. Chitta-bhavana means concentration-meditation. Because they don't know that this mind can be purified, clenched. It is for ordinary people, it is beyond their comprehension that the mind can be purified because the mind is full of so many garbage. They don't know what amount of detergent they have to use to cleanse this, defile defile the mind. How many dumpsters they need to remove this garbage, they don't know. And therefore they think this is not possible as human beings. Why? Because they don't know better. <coughs> Buddha said those who know how practice concentration meditation and remove these adventitious defilements to reach its luminous state. Luminosity does not imply, however, that the mind is 100% pure and clean. Luminosity is brightness. It is shining. Everything that shines is not gold. So is even when the mind is shining, luminous, it has its own very subtle underlying defilements. By attaining the four jhana, to some extent, we remove all of them and reach this luminous state. And there again, the meditator must do more vigorous practice on mindfulness. So, in order to show the meaning of purity, the simile the Buddha used is white cloth. He said, suppose somebody is sitting in a very, under a tree, in the open, covering his entire body with white piece of cloth, from top to toes, everything is covered. There is no room for even a mosquito to enter through, enter the body through this, White cloth, covered entire body with white cloth. White cloth he used to indicate that no mosquitoes, no gadflies, no wind can affect the body. Similarly, when one attains this state, the mind is protected guarded from all directions against any kind of defilements. This is temporary and yet very powerful, meaningful, effective moment, powerful moment. So that is how the fourth jhana is described. You can see Just like when all the clouds are moved away, the blue sky appears. You just imagine when your mind reaches that state, moving all the defilements out of your way, you reach that state. This definitely is true when you follow the steps. So, then let me spend few minutes explaining certain terms which sometimes you might have heard or read and have come to your awareness through discussions. And therefore it is better for you to understand whether you are in one state of mind or another by knowing these terms, the meaning of these terms. Number one is jhana. Jhana has two meanings. One is burning, the other is suppressing. When you attain Supramundane jhanas, you burn defilements, reduce them to ashes, never to arise them again. When you attain ordinary jhana, not supramundane, mundane jhanas, you suppress. What do you suppress? Hindrances. Somebody asked me today, during our interviews, what the hindrances are. I'm going to explain them just after explaining these terms. So the first is jhana. Jhana means either suppressing, holding defilements at bay, or destroying them, burning them, completely, never to arise them again. Then, samadhi bhavana and samatha bhavana. Bhavana means cultivating, developing. When you cultivate something, you have to remove all the obstacles, For instance, when you cultivate a land, you have to remove trees, rocks, weed, and plough it, prepare the land, and then you sow seeds. And then after that you take care of the sprout, watering, fertilizing and so on and preventing it from being eaten by insects, other animals, so that you can have a good harvest. Those who are familiar with gardening and farming know all these things very well, much better than I do. Similarly, when we cultivate our mind, we have to especially to gain jhana and to attain liberation, lower jhana or higher jhana, mundane jhana or supramundane jhanas, we have to remove the defilements. For attaining mundane jhanas, we have to remove only four, five defilements, which are called hindrances. They hinder or obstruct our attainment. When I explain them in turn, one by one, you will know how obstructive they are. They are... With them you cannot attain Jhanas. Buddha gave three very beautiful similes. When you hear the similes and remember them, you get the meaning more clearly. First simile is, suppose there is a sappy piece of wood in water, and you try to light it, it will not catch fire. Why? We think because it is sappy and in water. Both of them would not permit or allow you to burn the wood, the piece of wood. Similarly, when the mind is filled with All kind of impurities, hindrances, even imagining, attaining jhanas is impossible. That is why I say some people think it is not possible. Not possible because they are just like sappy wood in water. sappy, wet land. Suppose somebody, then Buddha gave another simile. Suppose there is a sappy wood on dry land. Still you cannot burn the wood because it is still full of moisture, sap. It is wet. Even the land is pure or dry, you cannot. Similarly, when you... Suppose you have very good intention, you make all effort, you follow all other steps, but the defilements have not, hindrances have not been removed. They have, they grip the mind so you cannot attain jhana. Third simile is, suppose there is a dry wood and it is on the dry land, then you can burn the wood because wood is dry, not sappy, not wet. The land is not wet, so you can burn it. Similarly, when your intention is very good, perseverance is good, Practice is good. All other factors are good. At the same time you have removed your hindrances then you attain jhānas. So samādhi bhāvanā samatha bhāvanā both means the same thing. Samatha means tranquility. Samādhi means uh, uh, peace. So tranquillity and peace go together. Then you have heard all kind of nimittas, kasina nimitta and so on. Uh, the word nimitta has many, is used in many places for many things. kasina nimitta is the sign you use to focus your mind on in order to gain uh, concentration. Kasina is entirety, something you use to represent entire thing of that particular thing. For instance, earth kasina, the the disk made of clay, round disc, made of clay you use to focus your mind as an object. So this earth, they are representing, the clay disc represents the entire earth and therefore it is called Earth Khashina. So the sign is that you as I think I mentioned it the other day. You put it 18 inches away from you at your eye level, focus your mind on it, gaze at it until you remember the entire disc. Everything in the disc you memorize, it stays in your mind very, very strongly. Then you close your eyes, still you see the image of it, that is nimitta. The object you see, the outside disk is parikamma nimitta, learning sign, and the image you memorize is patibhaga nimitta, counterpart sign of the external things. Then you move away from that place, focus your mind on the memorized image, and then you are <coughs> slowly overcoming hindrances, gradually you <coughs> attain jhana. This kind of sign is called nimitta. There are some other nimittas, samadhi nimitta is the ojhara nimitta or samadhi nimitta, meaning the sign of concentration. Before you are gaining concentration, you will see the indication that you are going to gain concentration. That can be sometimes explained like as uh, light, uh, sometimes you feel it as an, a little uh, piece of cotton and so forth. In addition, there are some other nimittas, like raga nimittas, dosa nimittas, moha nimittas, sign of greed, sign of hatred and delusion. So these are the nimittas. So I mention these things in order for you to have some theoretical understanding. Theoretical understanding is also very important so that if you go wrong, you can go back to the theory. That is the purpose of having the theoretical understanding or knowledge of theory. And these theories that uh, we described are the theories that Buddha himself developed through his own personal practice and experience. I would say we don't go wrong when we follow these steps, uh, because uh, the Buddha was not just what you call, speculators. He came with his own conviction Personal experience of these jhanas. I sometimes compare Buddha to a very skillful architect. Architects themselves know the design or the drawing perfectly well, better than the builder. Every boards and nuts and amount of tiles and pillars and rock, wood and their are dimensions, everything he knows very well to draw the plan, detail plan. The builders are not architects. They simply follow the architect's design. Similarly, Buddha is a perfect architect. He has given us a beautiful plan in detail. So we are just builders. So if we follow his architectural plan, his design, his growing, we all will get there, where he got. And therefore he gave us a theory. from his own personal experience. We simply follow the theory. And therefore, you ask me the steps. This is the first step. What is the first step? Faith. Trust. Trust in the theory that Buddha gave us. Buddha is not with us. His theory is with us. And we have to trust the theory. Sometimes you may wonder, why should we trust the theory? We must go to another architect and ask him his opinion. And then may not be satisfied, just like going to a doctor and then come out and doctor diagnose your sickness, and then you come out and tell your friends that doctor said such and such. Your friend suggests, uh, doctor said, uh, he's a surgeon, through he would say, you need a surgery. You would come and tell your friend. Your friend would say, don't go for surgery, don't trust him, go to another doctor, get second opinion. Some people get third opinion, and so on. In this case, don't go for many opinions. Trust the Buddha. Buddha asks us, suppose he asked us to dig 100 feet deep to get water. 100 feet. You have studied logics, philosophy, psychology, mathematics and so on. You, using your logic, You dig 10 holes, 10 feet deep each. And come to me and said, Pantya, I dug 100 feet. I still didn't get water. How diagonally he cannot get water. I asked him to dig 100 feet. But he is a logician. He knows logic. I said, I dug 100 feet, but I didn't get water. How can he get water? He must dig hundred feet in one place, not ten different places, ten feet each. Similarly, when Buddha gave us the theory, we have to have a trust in him, faith in him, and We have to dig in that place, dig into his theory, put it into practice. Then we will get water. We will reach where he went, where he reached. So the theory is uh, uh, threefold. Buddha has mentioned it in many places in many different terms. Sometimes it is called Pariyatti, Patipatti, Pativeda, or Satcha, Kicha, Kata. These are Pali words which simply means the theory, the practice, and realization theory, practice and realization. Satya is the truth. Theoretically, it is true. Kikya means function, the things that we should do with the theory. Then, Pativarya or kata is realization getting the results. Without following these three steps, you cannot reach Dhyana. So, believe me, when we give some steps, if you do not follow them and you do various other things and don't expect to get the results, The the first number one in the theory is restraining our senses. restraining our senses, which we call morality. Friends, we are doing this not to please somebody. Not to pass examination, not to pass the test and get the job, <laughs> but we do it for our own attainment. So we have to be very serious about our uh, restraining our senses. <clears throat> Eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body and mind, we have to discipline. Without discipline, friends, you cannot achieve anything. Not only spiritual attainment, but even in a secular life, you cannot gain, you cannot be successful without disciplining yourself. For instance, if you don't go to work every day as scheduled, you will lose the job. Your boss will not keep you in the office just to pay you a lot of money, pay your salary. Boss expect you to come to the office every day or oh, do your assigned duty faithfully in a secular life. You cannot have a good family life if you don't follow your principles. If you are doing all kind of hanky-panky things, if you cannot live a good family life, it would be a chaos. So discipline is extremely important for any life whether it is family life or spiritual life. It is much more so important in the practice of spiritual life, in the practice of jhāna. So you go got to learn to discipline yourself. Discipline to be consistent, be regular, and do it Honestly and sincerely, be very serious. If you do it little bit here, little bit there, occasionally like digging 10 holes to get water instead of 100 feet, it is not possible. And therefore we have to be very consistent, regular, do it again and again and again with discipline. That is number one, the steps. Now, this discipline is a general discipline. When you come to meditation, we have to have a very specific discipline. Specific discipline is particularly when you come to sit every day, because you came, friends, from various different places, leaving so many commitments behind. Even now you may be thinking, how am I going to do my job when I return? And so forth. You may be planning your uh, future. uh, What you are going to do after this retreat? Because you have left some work. So you took some time to come here to practice very seriously and be serious, be serious. Whether you come to meditation hall or in your kuti or room, keep your discipline. When you are not supposed to talk, maintain your silence with the discipline, disciplining your mind. So, when you sit on the cushion, maintain your discipline. Not to let all these accidental things bombard your mind. You tell them, you all hindrances, defilements, you bodies stay away for a while. I will get back to you. <laughs> <I am laughs> I am sure you are not disappearing. You will be, you will be there when I need it. So don't bother me right now. Tell all the defilements and put them out of your mind for a short period. You may be very much uh, like to indulge in those uh, (laughs) hindrances. Temporarily suspend that indulgence. Let them be away for a while. That kind of discipline, this is a discipline we have to have. Fresh training. Our desire for eating, desire for seeing. I'm pretty sure you might have seen millions of things and you want to see them more. Discipline. Tell yourself, they will be there when I come. I don't have to think about them. The food, smell, taste, touch, see, see sight, all these things. They are there. I have to spend this time very seriously clearing my mind. You came for that purpose. That's a discipline. I'm not talking about uh, monastic discipline, observing Pāthimokka rules and and so forth and so on, all kind of, uh, 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 you know, philosophy of ethics and so on. But the simple, basic mental discipline with commitment we have to have in order to be very serious in our practice, then <coughs> uh, you need concentration. For the concentration there are three factors very important concentration what are the three factors effort mindfulness and understanding effort mindfulness and understanding these three factors are absolutely necessary effort is not a physical effort, not the, the effort to lift weight or climb trees, but to stay with the practice we have to have, a, have some effort. Effort to prevent all these hindrances from arising. We have to make effort. As I said, put them away temporarily. Don't think of them. Effort, if they arise in spite of your very sincere wish, they arise. Then you have to make effort to get rid of them. (coughs) And then once they are gone, there is a state of mind without hindrances, then you arouse wholesome mental state like uh, faith, mindfulness and determination, uh, joy, metta, compassion. These things are absolutely necessary for keeping in your mind. These things are important to keep in the mind. So we arouse them. Once they are arisen, then we have to make effort to maintain them, support them, sustain them, strengthen them in our mind. These are the kind of efforts we have to make. These are not just mere theory, These are very practical things. And then that is effort. then uh, effort, understanding and mindfulness. Understanding, understand why I want to do that. Because you see, any moment these things move away from your mind, you will see the the peace you experience. For instance, when uh, a greed arises, you feel very, very uncomfortable. When greed moves away, fades away, disappears, then you will feel a great relief of discomfort. We have to understand that. We have to understand that from our experience. When you understand with our experience, then our faith will increase because the faith arises from, <coughs> from understanding. When we understand something and then we trust. Yes, yes. When greed fades away, this is how I experience. This is not mere theory. This is how we experience. This is how we feel. This is what really happens from our own person. This is called Every wise individual understands it exactly as they are. This dhamma, this truth is un- to be understood by each and every wise individual. Wise individuals are the ones who see this reality happening in their mind and see the benefit and then they think, this is what I should do. That's what the wise person does. So, every wise person can do that. Understanding. You have effort, you have understanding, then you have mindfulness. What does mindfulness do? Mindfulness keep all the greed, hatred, and delusion in check, hold them at bay, and see every one of them, wholesome or unwholesome, arises and passes away. Arising and passing away. There is no room, no time, no way that we can hold on to anything they all are fading away. That is mindfulness function, function of mindfulness, seeing them as they are. So these three factors are important in attaining jhana. What are they? Uh, the, The morality, discipline, and then mindfulness, effort and understanding. Understanding is called clear comprehension. We comprehend, we discern it very clearly from our personal experience. Now, I said I was going to explain the steps. These are the steps. First, Restraining our senses, disciplining ourselves, then making effort, then try to understand and then be mindful. Then, when you have all these things, then we become even wiser to continue our practice. Then, I mentioned several times the difference between right concentration and wrong concentration. Does anybody remember that? What is the difference between wrong concentration and right concentration? Yeah. Right concentration has mindfulness. Wrong concentration does not have it. Now, as you know, both are equally important. And it is very important that attainment is equal. That means no gender difference. Whether man or woman, male or female, can attain these states. Uh, There is a little... uh, Anecdote or little story uh, of uh, Sama, Bhikkhuni Arahant Sama. Uh, she, uh, in a very uh, beautiful day, she went to a, a tree nearby, a kuti, and uh, sat to meditate. Then uh, Mara appeared to her and said these are Mara's words Mara said to her that state so hard to achieve which is to be attained by the seers by the seers, sages that said can't be attained by a woman with the Two-fingered wisdom, that was an insult to women that Mara used. That means their wisdom is very little. With little wisdom, a woman cannot attain this state called jhana, or pure mental state. Why? Because she is a woman with very little wisdom. Who said that? Mara said that. So this Arahant nun put Mara to shame by saying she said her statement is uh, golden. We must we must uh, inscribe them on rocks to to remain permanently. She said, What does womanhood matter at all when the mind is concentrated well, when knowledge flows on steadily, as one sees correctly into Dhamma. That means when mindfulness or wisdom and concentration are grown, developed. What manhood or womanhood got to do with that? What the gender got to do with that? And she said, "One whom, in might, it might occur. I am a woman, or oh, I am a man." Or I am anything at all, is fit for Mara to address. She said, Mara, you go and tell somebody who thinks I am a woman, I am a man, or something else, you go and tell that person. Don't tell me. Because my mindfulness, my wisdom, and concentration, is developed. When mindfulness and concentration go together, developed manhood or womanhood has nothing to do with that. (coughs) So, therefore with this uh, determination, both men and women must continue their practice. Without any hesitation, there is no, this is where we have equal right. (laughs) Buddha gave that equal right to all of us in the supreme sense, not in a mundane sense. So, uh, now, I try to start uh, hindrances, I mention them by name, even I repeat it by name now, (coughs) but uh, don't have much time to explain. Uh, Hindrances by definition are those that uh, put obstacle on our way to attain jhanas. However, we, with our <coughs> determination, mindfulness, understanding, wisdom, and faith, and our, we also need to have a good health, there are six factors, faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration, wisdom, and good faith, good 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 health. Even if those five factors are there, if the health is not good, attaining jhanas will be difficult, very difficult, not impossible, but difficult. And therefore, these six factors must be there. We have to be, we have to have good health physical as well as mental. And our faith, effort, mindfulness, concentration and wisdom also must grow, develop. With these, as they grow, hindrances uh, not only uh, suppress we can put them away forever. However, underneath hindrances, there are some other very powerful forces. and therefore hindrances will not easy to be uh, put away or destroyed. They will come back again and again and again. What are these very powerful? Underlying forces, they have another term that is called fetters. Fetters. As long as fetters are there, hindrances will arise. So, with these five spiritual faculties, we will learn to destroy the root of fetters, root of hindrances. Root of hindrances are fetters. Only fetters are totally, completely wiped out. Hindrances will never, ever arise again. So, what are the hindrances? greed, hatred, sleepiness and drowsiness, restless and freemous, or restlessness and worry, and doubt. Now, these are what we call five hindrances. The fetters are ten. Definitely they must be very powerful because their team is, numbers in that team is more than in the team of five. In the Hindus team, there are only five. And the fetter team, there are ten. Therefore fetter teams must be stronger. Hindus team have uh, uh, their counterparts, their uh, initial application, sustained application, joy, happiness, and concentration. These are the uh, their are, other uh, are counterpart team. They match each other. They can play together because they are five in each each team. But they cannot play with the team that has. Ten members. So, we first try to deal with five and five team. (laughs) Hindus five, their counterparts five. And then, if I have time, I will deal with the more powerful team with number ten ten members. I think this this may be enough for today's Dharma talk and uh, we continue this tomorrow.